those pictures with what I'm saying, and that, that drives me crazy. I, even when I think I have it, I, I don't. And so it, it takes forever, it seems. But uh, we're going to go ahead and begin tonight by kind of focusing on our missions a little bit. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, uh, a very familiar passage. The Bible says, And he said unto them, <clears throat> Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now the Lord gave this commission to his disciples after his resurrection, just prior to his ascending to heaven to be with the Father. And the command here is to preach the gospel. Now the verb preach means to herald the message. To herald the message. And it is the same word that's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, when the apostle says to his son in the faith, Timothy, preach the word. In ancient times, very important messages were communicated by a herald. That was not uncommon. It was very normal for that to take place. And so the king's personal messenger would cry out the message that the king had for the people. He'd go into the towns and into the highways and hedges, and he would assemble the people together, and they eagerly awaited the news from the king. The herald wouldn't give his own message. He'd only give his king's message. He didn't share his views or his opinions. He shared exactly the very message that was given him by the king. Word for word, exactly what the king commanded. He wouldn't interpret the message. He didn't try to share it in a way that was maybe a little bit more palatable or comfortable. He simply shared the message that the king had delivered into his hands for the people. He didn't debate with the people. He didn't argue with the people. He just presented the king's message. Paul once said, Necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe unto me if I fail to faithfully announce the king's message and the good news that he has for this world. Today it seems that some churches are neglecting this clear directive. It seems that instead of adopting biblical methods of Reaching out to a world, we're adopting methods of change that are not sanctioned by our Lord. We're quick to substitute God's program for our own programs. We present our gospel instead of His gospel. And tonight, I just want to simply share a little message that is entitled, What the Great Commission is Not. What the Great Commission is Not. Now we know again that we're to herald the message. We know that we are to preach the gospel. So what is the commission? What isn't the commission, I should say? And so tonight, I just want to share three thoughts with you. What the Great Commission is not. And so I think you may be surprised what it's not. And you may even be, I may be misunderstood even. But before it's over with, I hope that we can all come to a biblical agreement what the gospel really is, and what the Great Commission is not. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this evening. Lord, I 
am excited about what's going to take place uh, tonight. Lord, I'm thrilled with what's already transpired with the choir and the special and Lord, just with the congregational singing and Lord, uh, just the fellowship that's taken place already. But Father, in these next moments, just these next moments, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show up and once again, Lord, may it be a profitable time. Father, it's not just something we're going to endure that we want to get through or that we are just trying to uh, wait out until it's time for the food and the fellowship. Lord, this is the time when we receive from your table. O Holy Spirit of God, show up in a mighty way. May we be instructed and encouraged and even inspired tonight. Holy Spirit, stand in my shoes and let me be your mouthpiece. And Father, may you be with every listening ear again tonight. Lord, we need you. We thank you, Father, for the wonderful truths of your word. Thank you for the privilege of being part of your family. And Lord, tonight, may our hearts be stirred as we consider what the Great Commission is not, so that, Father, we can obediently share what it is. Well, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Great Commission does not say a couple of things. Again, we read, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world... And preach the gospel to every creature. I don't mean to be rude or crude or, or mean or nasty tonight. But I'm going to share with you what the Great Commission is not. First of all, the Great Commission does not say, Go ye into all the world and feed the hungry, clothe the naked, build homes for the poor, and care for the sick. It doesn't say that. Now, I know there's going to be some people who are going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, hold on. Let me finish. Please be kind enough to hear it out. But the Great Commission does not say, go into all the world and feed the hungry, clothe the naked, build homes for the poor, and care for the sick. While we certainly should be very aware of the needs of people, we should not be oblivious to the pain and poverty and the suffering that goes on around us. The social gospel is not what the Lord commanded. We may feed their stomachs, but what have we done for their souls? We may cure them of their bodily illnesses, but what have we done about the deadly and incurable disease of sin? In Jeremiah 17, 9, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Every man, every boy, every girl, every woman has a sin problem, a heart problem. What good does it do if they become rich for a moment in this life, but poor forever in eternity? In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, the Bible says, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What if we clothe their bodies with the finest of garments in this life, but leave them naked and undone before a holy God in heaven, facing a Christless eternity? What shall it profit them? If we build them these wonderful structures or homes, but make no provision for their eternal home in heaven. What ultimate good have we done if we only help them on this side of the grave? Christ in his Sermon on the Mount 
wrapped it up pretty tight, I think. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Again, there's nothing wrong with providing food or clothing or housing or shelter, doing those things. But be very careful. That is not the church's main responsibility or goal. Now, if you would poll the community and even most church members, they would say that the church's job is to pay the electric bill when others can't pay for it. That it's the church's job to meet the physical needs of people when they can't afford to or the family's unwilling to. But that is not the main job or the responsibility of the local church. That is not the Great Commission. Now, there's nothing wrong with trying to help people and meet needs. We have benevolence and we try to buy food and things for folks. Sadly enough, in our economy, it's impossible for us to even consider or even think about paying bills for people at this time. We would have a budget that was exceeded our, our bus budget, if that was the case. And people don't call in needing 50 bucks anymore. People call in needing 500 and 700 and $1,000 just to keep their electric on. It's amazing today, the cost of things and how difficult it is in our culture, our society. And financially, I think everybody's strapped to some degree or another. It's an impossible task to assume that the church is responsible for that, and Christ never once said it. It's basically been something, I think, that has been kind of an unwritten rule through the years. And I think it's very good if a church can afford to do so. And I think that we can benefit the world by helping them that way. But that is not our main purpose or function. Notice what the Lord says here in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Speaking to his disciples, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or withal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek... For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Again, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Now we who are saved are admonished not to worry about what we're going to eat, drink, or what we're going to wear. So it only stands to reason that The focus of our ministry would be something other than that. If it's not to be important to you and I, if we're not to even consider it in our lives and say, our Lord knows our need, He will provide and meet that need, then obviously there's no doubt that the church's main function is not to worry about those needs. What the Lord is basically saying is, do not emphasize or put your main your main thrust on physical things. Understand that there's a greater need in the life of every believer and every unbeliever, and it is a spiritual need. That's why he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Again, a number of Christian groups today have exclusively devoted themselves to a social gospel. They're providing clothing, and they're feeding the poor and the hungry. And again, I have nothing, there's nothing wrong with that if it's done in conjunction with the biblical commission. However, it seems to me that in many cases, 
There's very little emphasis on the saving of souls today. It's very interesting to hear what William Booth of the Salvation Army had to say a number of years ago. Harry Ironside in his book, Excerpts Except You Repent, recalled hearing William Booth. And here's what he said. I recall hearing William Booth, the first general of the Salvation Army, say, when explaining his darkest England scheme, that its real objective was not just the uh, amelioration, I, I have no idea, of social conditions, but first and foremost, the bringing of men to repentance that their souls might be saved. I can recall the flash in his eye and the noble bearing of his commanding figure as he exclaimed, Take a man from the filth and squalor of the slums, exchange his rags for decent clothing, move him from the stifling stench of the city uh, tenement to a neat little cottage in the pure air of the country, put him on his feet economically where he can make a decent living for himself and his family, and then let him die in his sins unsaved and be lost forever at last. Really, it is not worthwhile, and I, for one, would not attempt it. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. May I say that you needn't look any further than the Salvation Army to see of a group that started off very concerned about the souls of men and has turned completely to the social gospel. William Booth would turn over in his grave today. We don't even consider the Salvation Army, I don't know about you, but it doesn't even seem to be a church anymore. It's more of just some social agency that helps people in our perspective. They ring bells at Christmas time, but you don't think about them preaching the gospel. You only think about them feeding the poor. William Booth would have a heart attack because he never intended that the Salvation Army neglect the spiritual needs of people and only supply the physical. There's nothing wrong with supplying the physical. If it is a means by which to minister... To the heart. John Hyde, affectionately known as Praying Hyde, once made this statement. He said, if every person in the world had adequate food, housing, income, if all men were equal, if every possible social evil and injustice were done away with, men would still need one thing. Christ. The Great Commission does not say, go ye into all the world and feed the hungry, clothe the naked, build homes for the poor, and care for the sick. Number two, the Great Commission does not say, go ye into all the world and become politically and socially active. Make sure you register to vote if you haven't. But go ye into all the world. (laughs) I was thinking about that when you were saying that. And there's nothing wrong. By all means, please do. Plan on voting. You need to do that. You absolutely need to do that. But go ye into all the world and become politically and socially active in order to eliminate the social ills of our day and in order to impose biblical standards upon society. The Great Commission doesn't say that. Think, if you will, with me for a moment about the early Christians. What was their main thrust? What was their main activity? You know, the early Christians, you know, those that we read about in the book of Acts. What do we discover as we read through that book? 
Did they lobby to outlaw temple prostitution? I don't ever remember seeing or hearing that. Did they labor to get conservative men elected to the Roman Senate? Never once have I heard anything about that. Did they march to Rome to protest the inhumane gladiatorial contests? No. Did they actively campaign against the social evils of their day? Social evils such as divorce, the abuses of slavery, abortion, and the like? No, they did not. As noble as an undertaking that those can be, the early disciples did not have time for such activities. They didn't have time for it. They were too busy doing what their Lord told them to do. And that's found in the book of Acts chapter 8 verse 4 when the Bible says, Therefore they, went, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. They were everywhere preaching the Bible. And have time to, to do those things. Uh, they, these, these persecuted, these berated believers found themselves fighting for their very lives at times. If there was ever a group of people that were being socially uh, uh, outcast, that they, there were social injustices uh, that weighed heavy on their lives, their homes, their families, it was those people. They knew what it was to, to, be, to be looked down upon. They were targeted enemies of the state simply because of their personal faith in Jesus Christ. No matter how vital, no matter how important these other causes are, heralding the message of the King, taking the gospel to a world in need, sharing the clear presentation of a crucified Christ is the priority. Peter and John had been imprisoned and punished for their crime of preaching the gospel. I learned this from Mr. Jurgen yesterday. They're released with a very stern warning not to again proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. So upon being released, they go back to their fellow comrades and they give them a report of what had taken place. I want you to note their prayer and I want you to note what was missing. That's exactly what Mr. Jurgen preached on yesterday. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Turn there if you would, please. <clears throat> if I hear something good, I'll take it and run with it. And I threw that in, brother. That was good. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Notice, and this is very telling. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Beginning in verse 23, we read, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that, uh, that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. 
For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now watch this. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Remember now, Peter and John have just been released. They had been preaching the gospel and they were now beaten and they were scourged and they're sent out now with a threat. Don't you dare preach the gospel. Don't you dare talk about the risen Christ. Don't you do it. Behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done by the, by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. But notice once again, simple Behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Notice what's missing in that prayer. They didn't pray for deliverance from the enemy. They didn't ask that their enemy would be subdued, that they could be elevated. They didn't ask God to remove the persecution in order that they could witness more effectively. They didn't pray that God would replace the present regime with a more Christian-friendly government. They simply prayed for boldness. Why? Because that is the commission. That is the duty of every believer. And these early saints... Should I say, if these early saints didn't even pray for such social reform, they certainly weren't organizing marches and protests. They weren't even praying for these things. They weren't organizing any kind of social gatherings or marches or protests. Now listen, I, I, I don't have a bit of problem with people that like to do those things. That's good. But I'm going to be honest with you. I do believe that Christianity has been sucked in to a social gospel again. I'm watching churches that are actively involved in different movements in our political government and different things. And I wonder to myself, is that exactly what God wants us to do? Does God want us to organize the labor of the people of God in areas to change our government? To somehow encourage participation even in government. I I have no problem with filling out, you know, making available forms so you can vote. I think every, every child of God that is a citizen of the United States ought to vote, ought to exercise their right as a citizen in this country to do so. I know we're not citizens of this world in, in, in that sense. We're citizens of heaven already. But listen, we, we, we have the privilege of this voting. We have the privilege of being part of the political process. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But I'm going to tell you this much. Before I organize this whole group to go down to Washington and have a march on uh, Washington, we are going to march on this community and win some souls. Now, we may still go to Washington, my friend, but that won't be the first cause. The first one will be the souls. Because we're not going to change the world by marching on Washington. We're going to change the world by marching on our community. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying again. There's a time and a place for voting and voicing ourselves with 
in the political process. I agree. However, the believer's main focus is not on social reform or political activism. I'm amazed how many people get tied up with their school system. Can I I just be so bold to say it? How in the world would you spend more time trying to keep the school in line than spending time in the house of God? I'm going to miss Wednesday night services because i got a board meeting at the school for the PTA. I'm going to fix the schools. I'm going to keep them clean for my kids. Are you kidding? You ought to save about half a dozen teachers in the school. It'll change your school. We spend our time doing things that don't bring any eternal change. And in reality, they don't really bring the change that we think they'll bring to our system. It's important that we recognize that Jesus Christ gave a commission to the church, and the church is comprised of people, and the goal is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is the real function and the real main issue. That's what our our real job is, to go to every person and give the gospel, to win them to Jesus Christ. And in winning them, then we can turn the world upside down. One soul at a time. Now, there's nothing wrong with trying to keep things on track. And there's nothing wrong with devoting effort into certain areas. But be careful that that doesn't become the real emphasis of your life. The real goal. What's your purpose for living? Well, it's to keep television clean. Yeah, there are Christian groups that literally spend their whole ministry just trying to keep the television, the air, the airways clean. They spend thousands and thousands, millions of dollars a year of, of believers' money trying to keep television clean? Is television God's tool? No, that's the, what the devil's used through the years, to corrupt the minds of people. Do we really believe we're going to keep it clean? I mean, do you really think so? Well, if I just boycott... Target or boycott this place long enough, they'll eventually change their whole direction and their attitude toward this sin. Hey, listen, I'm all for boycotting people that want to, to include or want to incorporate or, or promote the, the, the gay agenda and all of that. I'm okay with all of that stuff, but I'm going to tell you something. That's not what's going to change this world. What's going to change this world is me knocking on a door, talking to somebody down at the restaurant, leading somebody to Jesus Christ, and their heart being changed and transformed, which will ultimately affect their husband or their wife, and eventually affect their whole family and generations to come. That's what will make the real difference. It is futile to engage in social and political activism for the purpose of coercing an ungodly society into adopting Christian standards of conduct. I I hope we got that. Let me try to put it in a little bit plainer terms, biblical terms. The early church was comprised primarily of Jews. And they found themselves tempted to require the Gentile believers or converts to be circumcised and to follow the law of Moses. Peter steps up and he makes a very good argument. Look if you will at Acts chapter 15. This is exactly what we're talking about. 
Again, I, I, don't, I don't have a bit of problem with, with sending an email. I'll, if I see something that's ridiculous, I'll maybe shoot an email. I'll write a letter to somebody and say, I don't support that. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, I, I believe biblically it's this or that. I get active in that regard. But I don't, I don't make that my emphasis. That's not my life. My goal is not to change the, the society by being active. I'm active for Jesus Christ. I'm going to obey the commission. I'm going to try to win souls. I'm going to try to affect people in a very eternal way. Acts 15, 5. Notice what it says here. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Talking about the Gentile believers now. Remember, Paul the Apostle makes his way into Asia Minor, and there he begins to start churches, win souls. Man, I mean, it's, it's like going like gangbusters. Man, things are happening. And, and, and word gets back now to the Jews back there in Jerusalem, and there are what they call Judaizers, those that believe that you had to incorporate the law as well as the, 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 the grace. So you had to trust Jesus, but then you had to keep the law. You know what that's called, by the way? Legalism. That's legalism, my friend. Not having standards because you want to protect yourself and your family from falling over the cliff and dying. No, no, no. That's called legalism when a person adds anything to Jesus Christ for salvation. So these Judaizers were legalists, and they said, you're going to obey the law if you want to be a Christian. Peter steps up and says, wait a second. Verse 7. When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how what a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. What's he saying? He's saying back there, you remember, in Acts chapter 10, when I went to Cornelius, he was a Roman. And I, I went there because God sent me. I preached the same gospel that I preached to you and others. And they too accepted Christ. And guess what happened that day? They spoke in tongues. He said, whoa, 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 I've never spoken tongues. Am I not saved? Hold on. Calm down. No. Now listen to me. Hey, listen. Those tongues were for a purpose. What those tongues did, you got to understand, there was always, there was a Jew around. What the Jew, the Jew requires a sign, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He requires a sign. And when they heard those Gentiles begin to speak with tongues, those Jews' ears perked up and they said, Wow! They, they're getting saved just like we're getting saved. Oh my goodness! This is a sign. Before we never thought Gentiles could be saved, Jesus Christ came to His own. Jesus Christ came to save the Jew. But now we see that His salvation is extended to the Gentile. And boy, it got back, news got back to the, to those down in Jerusalem and they said, wow, you know, it's happening, man. It's taking place. The gospel's being preached to the Gentile too. And now they're trying to make the Gentile keep the very law that they had kept before he died on Calvary and rose again. Watch what happens now. Verse 8, and God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between them, us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Here it is now. 
But therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Did, did you, you get what he just said? He said, why are you trying to put them, a yoke on their, their necks? Why are you trying to burn them down with the very law that neither our fathers nor we could keep? You know what? If the forefathers of our faith, if the Jews throughout the history could not bear the weight of those rules and regulations that the law demanded... How in the world can we expect an unsaved world to live by God's law? How can we impose a standard upon these Gentiles, they said, that even our forefathers could not live up to? And that's exactly what we try to do when we impose our faith standards on the natural man who's lost in his sin. When I try to tell a man that's lost, you shouldn't watch that kind of show, that is ridiculous. That doesn't even make sense. That's like telling a pig not to jump in mud. Do you get where I'm going? See, in the New Testament church, they said, listen, you can't make these Gentiles follow a set of rules and regulations that we ourselves and our forefathers couldn't keep. Well, guess what? That's the exact same standard we're trying to impose on a world that doesn't have Christ living in them. So when we are socially active trying to clean up television and trying to clean up the airways and trying to somehow change our world like that, it is a very futile effort. Because we're trying to tell them to keep God's rules and regulations when they themselves do not have His heart. No matter how commendable the goal of such tactics is, we are fighting a losing battle when we engage in social and political activism for the purpose of forcing the ungodly society that we live in to obey biblical principles. Christian activism involves the well-meaning. But foolish attempt to force Christian principles upon godless society. We do it by trying to effectively lobby. Provide greater or larger demonstrations or maybe even bring about greater social upheaval than even maybe the homosexuals or the abortionists or pornographers can produce. We're never going to compete with them. Rather than pressure the ungodly to live like saints, we need to win them to Christ that they might live holy unto God. That's what we need to do. We need to denounce sin for sure. We need to call for repentance. We need to preach the gospel in convicting power. But instead of protest, we need prophets. Who will call the world to repentance. We need some Enoch's who walk with God and warn of judgment. We need some Noah's who will preach righteousness and warn of coming judgment. David Hunt made this statement. Christian activism is not Christian. And presents a a detour from the straight path the church is to walk before the world. 
It can confuse the real issues, lead to compromise and unholy alliances, and divert time and effort that would be better used in proclaiming the gospel. Be fully engaged in rescuing souls for eternity. Consider the early Christian believers again. J.C. Ryle expresses it by saying this way, quote, In a few generations they entirely changed the face of society by the doctrines of the Bible. They emptied the temples of the heathen gods. They famished idolatry or left it high and dry like a stranded ship. They brought into the world a higher tone of morality between man and man. They raised the character and position of women. They altered the standard of purity and decency. They put an end to many cruel and bloody customs such as the gladiatorial fights. The Great Commission does not say go ye into all the world and feed the hungry, clothe the naked, build homes for the poor, and care for the sick. It doesn't say go ye into all the world and become politically and socially active in order to eliminate the social ills of our day and in order to impose biblical standards upon society. And finally, finally, go ye into all the world. It does not say go ye into all the world and change the world for Christ. It doesn't say go into all the world and change the world for Christ. You know, God has never told you and I to change the world. Never told us to do that. The world system is incurably sick, and it's headed for destruction. I'm not talking about praying for revival. I'm not talking about God pouring His Spirit down. I'm saying that God never told us. Where in the Bible does it say for us to change the world? It doesn't. It says to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God has told us to preach the gospel to individuals. And when that person responds the right way to that gospel message, his life is transformed by the grace of God. You know, it would be better to think of the world as a sinking ship like the Titanic. Because that's really indeed what it is. It's hell-bent, hell-bound, doomed to destruction. That's all there is to it. There's no saving the world. There's only saving individuals. The world system is Satan's. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that he is the God of this world. Don't think for a minute you are going to take him on. We'll leave that to God. The goal was to obey the gospel, the command of God to preach the gospel to every creature. And you know, it's amazing that their obedience reached and ultimately did change the world, though. Talking about the New Testament church again. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, the Bible says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. But see, changing the world was never the goal, but it did become the outcome. And we need to determine in our hearts to fulfill the command to go. And in doing so, we're going to have the opportunity of being change agents in a world that Christ would have us be in. See, the only one that can change the world is God himself. You and I would agree on that, I'm sure. 
And this is only going to be done when Christ returns to the earth and establishes his kingdom on the throne of David during the millennial reign. The church will never bring in a new world. The church doesn't do that. Christ does that. The church ends in failure. Did you hear what I said? You look at the Laodicean church. You notice in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, the church began strong. It ends in failure. Like every other dispensation. Because in the end, the only thing that really matters is God's grace. In these difficult and demanding days in which we live, we need to be faithful to herald the message of the good news of the King. The good news that He's given us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, the Bible says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. We're ambassadors for Christ, He says. We're those heralds that herald the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must do so. So, ours is not a social gospel tonight. Ours is a saving gospel. There's nothing wrong with putting food on a doorstep. There's nothing wrong with providing and meeting bills and needs for people in need. There's nothing wrong with those things. But as a church, it is not our job to make the physical needs of people triumphant over the spiritual need. If we can meet a spiritual need through a physical means, that's a good thing. I don't have any problem with passing out water at a parade when it has a gospel message on it. Nothing wrong at all with that. I don't have anything wrong with meeting the need of a person and helping them with their bills. I have, I have taken unsaved people just like you have, I'm sure. And I've given them money. I've provided them things. I've, I've done nice things for them in hopes that they will open their heart to receive the gospel. Nothing wrong with that. But if we went to Haiti today and we took food and clothing and everything that we had and gave it to them and made their present life better but never once shared the gospel of Jesus Christ and given them hope of eternity, we will have failed the calling of God. To take our money over there onto the streets of the Russian people where there are millions, countless millions of orphan children on the streets, to bring them up into good homes and ultimately provide them with college educations, to give them hope and, and, and a future would be a wonderful thing, but then not to give them the hope of eternal life would make us failures indeed in our calling. To go to Africa, where poverty is unspeakable, to provide them with fresh water and food for their bellies and ultimately clothing on their backs and again provide them schooling and education to raise them up and even bring them to the United States and give them all the luxuries and all the fine things that we can provide here in the United States for people. And not once give them the gospel, not once be concerned of soul, not once to really make it our goal to see them saved. I mean we were truly failures in our calling. Tonight, the Great Commission is simple. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is God's gospel, or His commission. And it ought to be ours. We ought to make that our life work, to reach out to people. 
We come together tonight. You didn't get the gospel tonight. You know what you got? You got exhorted in the gospel. Do you know why? Because when you come to church, you ought to leave prepared to give it. Equipped to give it. The church's job is to equip people to fulfill the Great Commission. Because it's not even the church's job alone as a corporate entity to reach the world. It's your job and mine to do it. Because we are the church. And even as those disciples there on that mount that day as Jesus made his way into the heavens. Finally gave that final commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's as though you were sitting there that day. And that his words fell on your ears and my ears. That is the commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those other things are wonderful things that we can be involved in to help open their minds and their hearts to truth. But they cannot trump the real priority. And that is the gospel itself. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the simplicity of your word and for the opportunity that we have to gather. Lord, we are certainly grateful for just the means by which we go and try to encourage people, not only in the Lord, but in a number of ways. I know a number of our people are very active in sharing their means and some of their possessions with others so that their hearts will be more tender to truth. And Lord, that's a blessing. But Lord, may we as a church not lose sight of what our main purpose is in, in the gospel or in the commission. And that's to reach out with that gospel, to make sure that people know that Jesus Christ died for them, was buried and rose again, that they can escape the true horrors of hell and ultimately live forever in a place called heaven. Father, help us now, Lord, to be bold with the gospel. And Lord, although we, we need to vote and although we need to be actively involved and although we need to put down sin and elevate you and righteousness in our culture even, Father, may we not be so blinded to think somehow that we as believers can force an unsaved world to comply with a biblical standard. But Lord, may we one soul at a time win them, sharing Christ with them, making an impact and a difference that will and can change our world and the families that are in it. Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for what you will accomplish in our hearts and lives. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed.